Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 57 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is I Did It My Way, an interview with Michaela Sharenko. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Michaela Sharenko. Michaela Sharenko is a 25-year-old woman from Massachusetts. She is a creative spirit with an interest in various art forms, including music and film. She's a social media manager and the founder of the Lime Not-for-Profit, I Love the Way You Lime. Michaela has been sick for almost her entire life, in and out of the hospital with pneumonia as a young child. Then she constantly had colds and strep throat, severe stomach pain, body pain, and neurological issues. She finally received the diagnosis of Lyme disease and 12 co-infections at the age of 22. Her illness forced her to put her dreams of becoming a singer on hold, and she had to drop out of college. During the course of her treatment, she had tremors, she couldn't control her speech or body movements, she was losing her vision, and going in and out of consciousness. This continued for almost six hours. Michaela thought she was going to die, especially when none of the medical professionals she interacted with seemed to be concerned. Michaela's family and church raised money for her to get a stem cell treatment from Infusio, which allowed her to regain a bit of her stamina. Now Michaela works at her own pace and isn't letting Lyme disease stop her. She works part-time in marketing, video editing, and music, and even has some of her own music out under the name Fluke. She also constantly posts videos of her symptoms to her Instagram page, bringing awareness to Lyme disease. Welcome, Michaela. Hi, how are you? So we'd like to start by introducing you to our audience. Can you tell our listeners where you live? Currently, I'm living in East Long Island, Massachusetts. And have you lived there your whole life? Um, no, I moved to Nashville twice. I lived there and um, also lived for a bit on Cape Cod and Kituit. And did you grow up in Massachusetts also? Yeah, I grew up in I grew up in East Long Meadow, actually. I was born in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, and I lived there for two years and then pretty much grew up in East Long Meadow my whole life. And Michaela, where'd you go to school? Um, I went to school at a private school in Springfield. Did you attend college after school? I did I did eight months of a online school for music production through Full Sail University before I dropped out. And I understand now that you're feeling a little bit better from your tick illness, you're actually working part-time. Can you tell our listeners what you're doing for work? Yeah, so um, I'm working for an IT company. I do marketing. And then on the side of that, I do music. Are you currently living back home with your parents or are you out on your own? Yeah, I, I had to move back in with them last summer. So I'm here with my parents. So because tick diseases are family diseases, I hope you don't mind me asking you to share a little bit about your family. What is your relationship status? With my family, I'm really close with my family. My parents are like my best friends, and so is my sister. We're, I feel like we've always been really close, but this experience with Lyme and everything that we've all kind of gone through together with it has made us a lot closer. Has everybody in your family been supportive of you throughout your health journey prior to your diagnosis and post-diagnosis? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Going to doctor's appointments with me and driving however far we needed to. And they've always been super supportive. And are you currently in a relationship with anybody? No. Dating is hard with Lyme. Yeah, I don't mean to pride too much, Michaela. It's just that we know Lyme has such an impact on your life, from your family life to your personal life, to your romantic life, to your professional life. So I think it's great that you're working towards that. And there is hope. I'm sure you've heard our past podcast with some other guests like Natalie and Will, who have been able to have a thriving relationship with a chronic illness. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe there's hope and there's, there's decent people. 
And I want to talk a little about your desires before you got sick. What were your life's goals before you got sick? What did you want to do for a living? Did you want to get married? Did you want children? You know, I never really thought much about getting married or having kids up until I would say just a couple of years ago. That wasn't really anything I ever thought about or desired. I was a free spirit. My uncle like would joke about me being a free spirit my whole life very creative. I still am creative, but I wanted to work in film and I have always wanted to do stuff with music, really anything creative. And has your tick disease gotten in the way of your professional aspirations to become a musician and work in film? Yeah, it has. It it limited me for a while, but within this last, honestly, just this last year, I have like been so determined to not let it. And kind of what I've realized and settled on is I can still do music and I can still pursue it. I'm just pursuing it in my own way. So I've said this before, like it's not gonna look like moving to a big city and living that dream of going out and playing all the time. But um, I have been able to find ways to make it work and I'm seeing progress. So that's enough for me, honestly, just like writing in general and playing in general is enough for me, but to try to make a career out of it, it's definitely been an obstacle, but I'm just determined to try everything I can while being sick. And Michaela, from what I understand, you don't recall your tick bite that gave you Lyme disease, but you've been sick since a very young age. Can you walk us through the first symptoms you began to exhibit from your tick disease? Sure. Yeah. So basically up until the age of four, I was projectile vomiting all the time. I was so sick. I believe it was like pneumonia that I had all the time in and out of the hospital and doctors. And then when I was four, they found out I had a patent ductus, which is a hole in your heart. So I personally believe that I didn't really have much of an immune system from the beginning because I was on antibiotics for those four years and they never told my parents to give me probiotics. So the way I see it, I think that was like kind of the beginning. I don't know where the Lyme disease would come into play there. But then from that point on, like I just remember always having colds when I was younger, always getting sick. And then at some point um, it started turning to strep throat and I had strep throat all the time. And then I got my tonsils out when I was in fifth grade. And that same year I got diagnosed with Tourette's, which from some research I've done, the different things I've read, they're saying Tourette's could be an early sign of Lyme. So that's kind of where I track it right now. And while you were exhibiting all these really severe symptoms at such a young age, how did this impact your social life while you were going to school and trying to live the life of a healthy child? Honestly, like I don't remember it. I don't have a negative connotation towards it. I do remember just being sick and like one of my friends back then joking about her mom was always afraid I was going to get her sick. But it didn't stunt my childhood, I don't feel like. I just remember just having struck a lot. There was nothing that, like, I don't think anyone felt like this isn't normal. It was more just like, wow, she's sick all the time. You know what I mean? And at the time, did your parents take you to doctors to see why you were getting sick all the time to try to identify the root cause of your illness? Well, I was always at my general practitioner like we got 
pretty close, I feel like. But besides it being strep, like, I don't recall them ever thinking, like, oh, this has to be something more. It was just strep. So, you know, had it for years and then finally got my tonsils out. But no, there was, I don't ever remember there being like, oh, this could be something else. And at the age of 14, things started to get worse and your symptoms progressed and you started to get more and more symptoms. Can you walk us through that experience? Yeah, so 14, I was a freshman in high school and I developed this severe stomach pain that was like almost right in the center above my belly button. And it was so severe that I would like, I just remember like sitting in literature class, like that was my first class of the day and just being crouched over, just like pushing on my stomach. Sometimes like my teacher, she was so nice. She would like literally let me just sit there because like I didn't want to keep missing school. So that pain really was like the first severe symptom, I would say. And I it made me throw up for like a year straight. I just remember getting sick all the time that year. And we started going to different doctors and they couldn't figure out if it was an ulcer. Um, we did elimination diets and nothing changed from the pain. And then within the next four years of high school, I would still get the pain, but it wasn't, it was when it would come, it was as severe, meaning like pain wise, but it wasn't as consistent. And at this point, when you were 14, did this have an impact on your social life as a young child? I remember just always feeling like the sick girl at school, but I didn't really let it get in the way. I still really had a great social life. Like I, some people hate their high school years. I loved high school. I like thrived in high school. I had so much fun. It got in the way. I played sports. I played volleyball. And I do remember like it being really difficult playing games sometimes and having this pain. But I've kind of always been... I guess someone who just pushes through stuff and a lot of times I think I push through so well that no one has any idea even in pain. And Lyme is known as the invisible illness so I'm sure you looked fine on the outside but felt horrible on the inside and you were able to cover it up and fake it very well it sounds like. Yeah I mean I definitely was open. I've always been pretty open with how I felt but there's definitely times when I was like not feeling well that people didn't know. I slept a lot in high school too. It's funny. I recently came across like so many photos that my friends would take and post on Facebook of me sleeping like just on the floor in study hall. I do remember being tired all the time in high school. I would say maybe that was another symptom, but looking back, like again, not thinking much of it, just thinking I'm tired all the time. From the time you were 14 to 18 throughout your high school career and you had this really bad stomach pain and you were vomiting all the time, did you see any other doctors aside from your primary care physician? And what were they saying was the cause of all this? Yeah, they sent me to, I remember seeing a doctor out in Worcester and I, I believe I saw a couple others and really it was always the same thing, like could be an ulcer. I remember getting a, is it an endoscopy that goes down the throat and they looked for an ulcer, but really there was never anything ulcer that's the only thing like that we ever got and then them telling me like oh you might be allergic to gluten and dairy and I do have those intolerances but it's not like the pain changed when I stopped eating those things. I understand when you graduated high school at around 18 years old your symptoms continued to get worse and things got even worse than they were when you were 14. Can you talk us through what those symptoms were? Yeah so um, I graduated in May of 2012 and then it was 
that fall of 2012 that I developed the all-over body pain from head to toe, like every part of me, my skin, my face, my hair, um, as weird as it sounds. Everything just ached one night. Um, I got home from a filming gig from the job I was working, and I laid down on the bed, and I was like, what's going on? I couldn't figure out why I just was in so much pain, and I laid down there. And I was like, okay, let me figure out, like, where is this coming from? And it was literally, like, my bones, muscles, joints, nerves. Like, there wasn't one part of me that wasn't in pain. And so, yeah, that's when, that's when my all-over body pain started. So I have to ask yeah. again, Michaela, that, you know, so many of our guests have gone to so many doctors and been misdiagnosed or dismissed. So now that you're having these additional symptoms of just chronic pain throughout your entire body, both muscle, nerve pain, joint pain, bone pain. What doctors did you see and what were they attributing these symptoms to? So I saw a rheumatoid arthritis doctor who diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis. And I remember just wanted to put me on like a medication. And honestly, I just remember like that not really sitting right with me and we didn't go through with it. We didn't go through with the medication. And then I saw, I just saw so many doctors. I was seeing nutritionists. I was seeing the type that does the uh, muscle testing. I saw a naturopath in Northampton. They diagnosed me with lupus, but then also was like trying to figure out if I also had depression. I saw a psychiatrist at one point who told me, you know, it's just my depression so yeah, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, oh, fibromyalgia, that was one I kept getting from all different doctors. Now here you are 18 years old, and this is when you started to go to online college, I believe, correct? Yeah, I started like around 18, 19. And your symptoms got so bad that you had to drop out about eight to 10 months in of this online college. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't focus or do it anymore. And how do you think this mental health misdiagnosis affected you? Did you believe that your symptoms were potentially mental health related and not related to a, a physical illness? I don't know. I struggle with that because I, so in high school, I remember I've always been pretty, like I've been a feeler, you know, like emotional in a sense, not like over emotional, but definitely like deep feelings. I think that's where a lot of like my writing comes from. But in high school, like, I remember sometimes going home and I would just write for the longest time on my computer. I would just, like, lay in bed and listen to sad music. So looking back, I'm like, okay, well, was I depressed then? Because I remember feeling that heavy weight. So when I got diagnosed with depression, like, it didn't surprise me because I always felt like I had it. I still feel like I have it. The best way for me to describe it is almost like... It could be like the sunniest day, but like it's still, everything looks cloudy to me. And so I remember them diagnosing me with depression and not being surprised that it was depression, but also knowing like, okay, there's no way that that is the reason for like all this pain and everything else. I just, I just, in my gut, I knew that there was no way. I'd like to learn more about the time from when you had to drop out of college because you were so sick the time you were 22 and you finally got your Lyme disease diagnosis, what were you doing with yourself at that point? Were you homebound? Were you seeking other, other medical assistance? I was living at home and I had started the online school and then shortly after I, all the pain started and um, I went, started going to the doctor. I got like the rheumatoid arthritis 
seeing different doctors sporadically through there. And then I lived at home for a year. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I lived at home for a year, and I didn't start school until that next year. So I started school when I was 19 online. And still feeling the pain, going to all these doctors, really getting nothing. Like, we, we did try for a while going to different doctors getting nothing and I kind of just gave up for a little bit like obviously still feeling all the same symptoms but just got tired of going to the doctor and still did online school and I was going for music production um, and I knew some people who lived in Nashville and so I ended up making the move to Nashville because I was like well I'm doing music production and you know I visited Nashville loved it like this is perfect place to be so I moved there when I was 19 and moved to Nashville. And I didn't see any doctors when I was in Nashville, but I did see a therapist because my depression was really bad. This is when I got diagnosed with depression and they brought in like a psychiatrist and everything. And this is when I started being put on depression medication. So I was on Cymbalta and Zoloft and like not at the same time they swapped those and they both made my depression way worse, way worse, like just to the point of like, I'm not going to say suicidal because I never acted on anything, but like I've never been in such a dark place in my life. And so I was seeing a psychiatrist and all that, still feeling the pain. And I'd been 20 at this point that summer. I found out that a close family friend who was kind of like a father figure to me was diagnosed with cancer. And I just really felt like I needed to move back home to be with him for the next couple months because we knew he only had a couple months. So I moved back home when I was 20 that summer. And honestly, like as weird as it is, it feels like it was almost like a blessing in disguise that I knew to move back home because at that same time, so I moved back home. I dropped out of school because I'm like, I'm sick. I don't feel well moving back home. I want to be with, you know, this loved one. And that's when school ended for me. And then like around two months later, one of my best friends died in a tragic accident to do with a train. And all the pain I had and everything, like every all my symptoms just got so much worse, which I know now that like it seems like trauma brings up pain more from everything I've learned with Lyme and trauma. So all my symptoms got a lot worse and I started seeing a naturopath, the one in Northampton at this time. That's when I was diagnosed with lupus. Also told her about losing my best friend and she kind of like, you know, felt like a lot of it had to do with the depression that was making me sick. And we were having difficulty getting hold of that doctor, like the communication end was just not there. And so we stopped seeing her because I feel like you can only try so much. So that was 20. And then I turned 21. And then the loved one who had cancer passed away. And again, still feeling like all my symptoms are really bad. And I just remember it was maybe a week after he passed. I was laying on my parents' couch, just totally done for. Like such a dark spot. And I felt like there was nothing to look too. I just, after losing two people, being sick, having to move home from Nashville and feeling like I had no direction. And I remember my mom just coming to me and she was like, you need to go somewhere. Like you can't be here. 
And she said, it's not because like we can't take care of you or because you're toxic or anything, but like you need to just go somewhere that's going to be healing for you because like being home wasn't healing. It just reminded me of pain everywhere that I looked. That's when I moved to Kituit on Cape Cod and still no diagnosis, you know, had stopped seeing doctors kind of gave up for a bit. And it's super ironic because the friend that I lived with on the Cape, she had Lyme, but she had gotten diagnosed immediately and on antibiotics and everything. And she was like, I swear you have Lyme disease. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like I heard of it once. I have no idea what you're talking about. And she was going to try to get me in touch with a doctor who had helped her from Lyme and he had just stopped practicing. So I didn't go to any other doctors and like, well, he stopped practicing and honestly felt really hopeless when it came to doctors at this point. And it was kind of like, I guess I'm just going to live with this chronic pain, chronic fatigue that they're saying it is fibromyalgia. And so I spent that whole year kind of doing everything I could to be in a healthy spot. I started working at a juice bar. I spent a ton of time by the beach, which was so healing for me to just sit by the ocean took my stress levels way down. I didn't feel less pain, but I that's why I was able to keep pushing through. Started working on music again slowly, and this kind of sparked in me the idea to move back to Nashville. So I ended up moving back to Nashville, went that whole year undiagnosed, and I met someone who I ended up dating, and we were sharing different things about ourselves. And he's like, well, what's one thing that you that like not a lot of people know about you. And I honestly, like a lot of friends didn't know that I was sick and in pain all the time. Like some knew, but it wasn't something that I had talked about up until that point because I felt crazy. Like what was I going to do? Just tell them all these different diagnoses. So, but I just remember him asking me and feeling safe with him. And I just said, I'm in pain all the time. And I've been to so many doctors and no one knows what it is, but that's just my reality. And basically, he pushed me to go back to doctors. So I went to a doctor in Nashville, got diagnosed with fibromyalgia once again. And a few months later, that led me to my Lyme diagnosis because a friend reached out and said, hey, you need to go see this doctor in Canada. She helped me. And so I ended up seeing the doctor in Canada. And that's when I finally got my Lyme diagnosis. And that was in 2017. What type of doctor was this doctor that diagnosed you in Canada? She was a homeopathic doctor. And from what I understand in your pre-interview questionnaire, you noted that you actually sent a DNA sample of your hair to the doctor first, which she was able to use to diagnose you. And then you went in person where she did bioresonance testing and measured the frequencies in your body to then again diagnose you with Lyme disease. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I did four of her treatments. And what type of treatment did she prescribe you with? They were tinctures, so from everything that I understand, they were, I usually had up to like 10 bottles and they had different herbs and everything in them to treat naturally. I have to ask, when you first got this diagnosis of Lyme disease, you had this epiphany, I have Lyme. Did you feel relieved? Did you feel fear? Um, I remember I was actually at a bar grabbing a drink with my friend and I found out and I literally just felt like relieved. And like the world was crashing down at the same time. Like it was so weird to feel both of those things at once, but I did. I felt relieved to have a name to it 
when I was looking it up, I was like, this is exactly what I have. It was just not even a question where as opposed to all those other diagnoses, I would research them. And I'm like, no, this isn't it. But yeah, it was, it was a relief, but it was also really hard. You know, we found out you have Lyme disease. And then she also said, just so you know, your kidneys, liver, and spleen look like they're failing. And that was through that test. And so that kind of had me on high alert. Michaela, how did you feel when you started the treatment? From what I understand, you were on this tincture treatment for four months. Yeah, so I was still in Nashville at the time when I got that diagnosis. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go. I'll go stay with my parents for like a month or two to do the treatment because she was telling me I was going to hurt and all this stuff. For the first two months, like I remember going back home preparing to feel sick and literally felt like no different. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Nashville now. Went back kept doing her treatments, I started losing my memory. Um, I was working for a juice company. I was managing a juice truck and I would be driving and like forget where I was going. Mentally, I was not with it. Like I knew I was forgetting things and having to write all these checklists and everything. And so, yeah, I just kind of had cognitive issues. And then after that, I called my mom. I was like, I, I'm not doing this treatment anymore. I'm just I'm just getting worse at this point. And she said, I'm supposed to be better. So once you decided to stop this protocol, when she said this was your last treatment and you, you weren't feeling better, if anything, you were feeling worse with all these cognitive issues, what was your next step? Um, I was at breakfast with my aunt, who's a nurse, and she's like, have you ever heard of the Igenix Western blot test? You should get tested through Igenix. So you, you went to this primary care physician that was your grandmother's at the time because of the feedback from your aunt who recommended the Igenix test out of California. This primary care physician ran the test. It still came back positive with Lyme, even though your homeopathic doctor said that you should have been better at that point, And he gave you a very low dose of doxy for about a month. Did you feel any better from that doxy? No, I didn't even feel anything. Now that you had this positive Igenix test and this one-month treatment of Doxy and it wasn't helping, what was your primary care physician saying and what was your next course of action? Because clearly you thought, you know, I have Lyme, I'm going to get treatment, hopefully I'll feel better. But here you are now at your second doctor and things are worse than they were when you got diagnosed. So what was your next step in your healing process? Yeah, so this was actually really me, in my opinion, how this worked out. So basically, um, I was still living in Nashville at the time, but I come home to do this test and see this doctor. and so. You know, we got the positive test back. He put me on the doxy, didn't work. And so I got a call from him saying, you know, we can't do anything more for you, but you need to see an infectious disease doctor. I can write you a referral if you would like. And so literally around this time, someone I was dating at the time was under a management label and the head of the management label found out that someone in their camp girlfriend had Lyme. And all of a sudden, I get this like message from the guy and he said, hey, you need to meet with so-and-so. He has Lyme. He really wants to meet with you. I was like, this is so random. And this guy is like a pretty big deal. And so I went and had a meeting with him and I was like super nervous. And it was so funny too, like just a side note, because here I'm sitting in like this management label for this guy who manages like amazing artists. And I'm like, I'm sitting in his office, not because of music. I'm sitting in his office because of Lyme. Like, this is cool, but it kind of sucks because I wish I was here for music. So we had a, we talked about Lyme and, you know, both shared kind of what we went through. And he said, I need to put you in touch with my infectious disease doctor who has helped me so much with Lyme. And so 
he basically called her up and then I had an appointment with her within like a month out in LA. So when you went to this new infectious disease doctor out in LA, who seems like a pretty exclusive doctor that was serving some of the most influential people in, in the music industry, did you feel that this was going to be your, your final step and you'd finally get some relief with this doctor? Yeah, I would say I, I usually kind of feel like with doctors, I'm pretty skeptical, but as soon as I met her, she just felt like I was talking to my best friend's mom. Like she is the nicest and so wise and everything she knows. And when I got tested, we did like around $5,000 worth of testing, more testing. And they found out I had like 12 co-infections along with Lyme. And at no point was I under her care in her office. Like, oh, she doesn't know what, like, what protocol she wants me on. Just very knowledgeable. Can you briefly walk us through the treatment protocol by this infectious disease doctor and how it helped you while you were under her care? Sure. Yeah. So she treats like half through supplements, like the natural supplements. And then the other half is through antibiotics. So I was usually on three to four antibiotics as well as a ton of supplements to support my body and immune system. And every around, it kind of ended up being every month we would switch to new antibiotics. So we would wipe the four I was just on and replace them with another four. So it was never off of antibiotics. It was just a lot of changeover. And then also did ozone treatment, ozone therapy, when they do it through your blood, whenever I went out there. Did you find the ozone therapy to be helpful in at least alleviating some of your symptoms while you were under treatment? So when I did have it, it gave me so much energy. I just remember feeling like I got wicked hyper one night, which had not happened in so long. But I've never had a shift in pain or anything. After several months of being with this infectious disease doctor out in California, you had a really bad episode that landed you in the hospital, which sort of was the beginning, or I should say the end of your relationship with this doctor because of this scary experience. Can you walk us through what happened that landed you in the ER? Yeah, so I had been on a new course of antibiotics, so I had to wait every couple of days before introducing the new antibiotic and overlapping everything, and I actually really crazy because I had just been on a trip to the BVI's on a boat in the middle of like essentially nowhere like in the middle of the ocean and I had my new three antibiotics and I was holding them and I was like which one should I try like kind of joking around like I have to you know introduce new one which one should I do and I remember looking at one and being like "Ooh, that looks scary I'm not taking that and so I did another one and then a couple weeks later I ended up introducing the one that I said looked scary and I took it, it was a Sunday, I took it Sunday morning, and I didn't feel that well, but I just figured with the new antibiotic, that's what happened. I was getting ready for my flight to leave for LA the next morning to go see this doctor, and I took the second dose, and within 10 minutes, maybe, I started having crazy vertigo. My whole, like, inside started shaking. I've never experienced anything like this. I kept feeling like I was walking almost like on a balance beam, like I was going to pass out if I fell over one way. I had never passed out before. And I just remember I kept like, I would see things and then everything would go black. And while I'm still walking and functioning and I was home with my mom and she's like, maybe you need to eat. Like here, sit down, gave me a bunch of food. I couldn't even hold my sandwich. Finally, I ran over to the couch and I called her over. And I remember like looking at her and I just 
kept saying like, mom, you're disappearing from me. But she wasn't, it was me. Like I kept going out of it. And I just remember like feeling so desperate like that I was like losing her, which really was like I was going out of it. And so I told her to call an ambulance and she did. Everything just progressed from there. Like I, at one point started tremoring, but it started from the inside first. So like I always explain it, if you were to take a camera and shake it, and like put it on video and record that, that was my vision. Like everything was shaking. It felt like my brain was shaking. My whole body started tremoring eventually when I was in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And that tremor lasted like around six hours. Um, There's a video on my Instagram of it. And I just, I couldn't control my movements. I couldn't speak. I couldn't control my speech. And it got so bad that I was sitting in the gurney or you know whatever the stretcher in the ER waiting for a room and the crazy thing was like the paramedics were like watching me but no one seemed concerned which made me feel crazy because on my end of the deal like I was laying in this stretcher like shaking and I kept losing my vision I can see it still like I was faced towards the nurse's station and I would see them And everything was shaking when I was seeing them. And then I would go out of it. Everything would turn white and I would hear nothing. And then I would come back. I would see the nurse's station shaking, lose it. Everything turned white, hear nothing. And that kept happening. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm dying now. What do I see? Like, this must be heaven. It's all the white. Like, what? who do I see first up here? I literally remember thinking that. And that lasted for like a couple hours. And then they eventually got me to the room and I, they stabilized me with like some different IVs and stuff. And I stopped going in and out of it eventually. Yeah. So that whole experience was super, super traumatizing for me. Um, And the doctor, we finally got a hold of her and she kept apologizing. And she said, there's no way that this antibiotic should have done this. And it doesn't make sense, but it, it must have crossed the blood brain barrier and to stop the medication, obviously. And she said that it was probably just a severe Herx reaction. And then at the same time as she's saying that on the phone, I get off the phone with her and the ER doctor comes in, has all my antibiotics because they had taken them from my house and was holding them up. And he goes, well, this one's destroying your heart and this one you shouldn't be on. I just felt very conflicted. Michaela, after this horrific experience, I understand you obviously never made it to the doctor in LA for mm-hmm. your infectious disease appointment. And at this point, you just stopped going to seek the care of this doctor because you were so conflicted about the effectiveness of these antibiotics. And from that point up until the present date, you really haven't seen any doctors to further heal or improve your health. So basically, yeah, I tried following through with her and nothing came of it. Like it kind of seemed like she didn't know what to do. And then actually shortly after someone reached out to me because they saw the video online and told me about stem cell treatment and she became like a really good friend. And so I heard about stem cell treatment from Infusio and Beverly Hills and my friend started to go fund me and my parents church raised money enough for my deposit and they sent me to Enthesio to get stem cell treatment in Beverly Hills. So I did that. Um, That whole episode thing happened in February or March. And then I ended up doing Enthesio stem cell treatment in June of that same year, last year. 
when you got the stem cell treatment, which was a little over a year ago now, how did you feel immediately after? And what were the long-term effects over the past year of the stem cell treatment? Immediately after, I just did not feel well at all. I remember for the first couple months after, like I don't have a lot of recollection of what happened. I remember being at a July 4th party with my family and not knowing where I was or who was talking to me or what they were saying. Like people would try talking to me and I'd look at my mom and be like, I just, I don't know what they're saying to me. A lot of like neuro issues. I felt like I couldn't communicate. I would go to their church and not, I made plans with people like not knowing who they were <laughs> to tell my mom so she could like let me know who they were. Yeah, I just remember not being very much with it. But then there would be some days where the brain fog and everything lifted. It was definitely a very painful time feeling. But eventually I did start getting my stamina back. I would say it was the fall of last year. Like all of a sudden, I definitely had more energy and stamina where I felt like I could travel again. I started making trips back to Nashville once a month. And so basically up until present day, I would say from stem cell, I've gotten my stamina and a lot of energy back. Definitely not full energy. I still get really tired, but enough where I can function and do things and take trips. Um, but besides that, like nothing else is different. I still have all the same neuro issues. All my pain is still the same. Would you say that your neurological symptoms have improved at all? Or, I mean, I've seen on your Instagram, it was just very sad to watch some of the videos you share. And thank you for sharing them to show the reality of what Lyme disease can do to you, of your uncontrolled mm -hmm. tremors and seizures. Are you still having those types of episodes? Yeah, I just had one a few weeks ago. And normally what happens is my brain feels like it's on fire and I know an episode's coming. So whoever I'm with, I usually always carry some different supplements that help slow the episodes down. So usually when that happens, I have that feeling. I'm like, I'll tell whoever I'm with, like, hey, I'm probably going to have an episode. This is how I'm feeling. This is the meds I'm going to take. I always go to panic mode and I probably, you know, I just, I tell everything that they would need to know in case I can't communicate. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was just driving with my dad and I had no inkling that anything was going to happen and literally we're driving and I just broke out into not being able to talk in that episode it was like the last one I posted on my Instagram so that came out of nowhere so yeah I'm still having those issues and it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit more that I didn't even have a warning this time and what kind of medication do you take for those episodes you mentioned that you have a sort of protocol you take of medication when you have a neurological episode what medicine is that one of them is a, it's actually a binder. It's filled with chlorella, charcoal, and then a couple other, it's all natural. So anything that slows down and binds all the toxins, everything that I've learned when you have these episodes, it could be like your body needs to detox or something like that. So I take that binder and I usually take like six to eight. I take a lot. And then I always carry my, oh, what's it called? It's not Xanax, it's the other one. It's like a anxiety medication because every time I get those episodes, my heart palpitates like crazy. And so I don't usually take that, but I keep that with me just in case because I know that it slows my heart rate down. And then I usually chug alkaline water. Michaela, one of the things we've enjoyed about doing this podcast is that almost every one of our guests have said that their tick bite experience has not been all bad and that there has been something good that has come out of their tick journey. Can you share with us how your tick journey has been positively transformational despite all of these horrible things that have occurred to you? 
Yeah, I would say that first and foremost, it's allowed me to really appreciate like every single thing in life. I really feel like I don't take a lot for granted, or at least I try not to. I miss running. Like I miss just being able to go run whenever I wanted to. Or, you know, I miss being able to take a trip and not have like an overwhelming anxiety the whole time that what happens if I have an episode or having to prepare for that stuff. But I feel like from this, I like appreciated, you know, what I do have. Like I do have a good quality of life, even though I'm in pain and have these things. Like there's some people who are bedridden or there's some people who don't have the ability to go out and do things or create and from it also with my music like I've found this new depth I feel like of writing and um, I've been able to write about my experience and share it with people and then also see how that helps people going through similar situations where they can relate and also I started a nonprofit where we got our official 501c3 status in May and it's called I Love the Way You Lyme and it's basically like a community for people with Lyme disease and we we've thrown a couple events in Nashville raising money and raising awareness and we have another one coming up here in New England in December. So yeah, I would say I appreciate life more and I'm also finding ways to like do something with it which feels really good. We'll absolutely be sharing a link to your website for this nonprofit in the description of this podcast once it launches on our Tick Bootcamp website at tickbootcamp.com forward slash podcast. So all of our listeners can go and take a look at your website and all the great things that you're doing to help the Lyme and chronic illness community. So we have to ask you one final question about your tick and Lyme disease experience. The experts in the Lyme and tick disease community are the people whose lives have been changed by their experience. A number of them have begun to use their special strength to protect and help other people and their families avoid the pain that is caused by a tick bite. Here at Tick Bootcamp, we call these superheroes tick hackers. So based on your experience and knowing what you know now, what would you do if you received a phone call from somebody you cared about telling you they were bitten by a tick? I actually receive these calls a lot. So typically I just had a friend call two weeks ago. So he, he went to the doctor and he got the basic blood panel test back and it came back negative and so I told him he should get um, an hygienics test done but then also to stay proactive on detoxing his body and staying away from anything that could cause Lyme to grow so basically I like helped put him on this protocol of doing low sugar staying away from gluten and dairy if possible and then I gave him supplements to help him detox so I gave him like a binder and then another supplement that helped him sweat it out. And I also made him do a 30-minute sweat session every day. And I always ask people to keep the tick so they can get it tested, but he had already disposed of it. So yeah, that's usually my thing is keep the tick to get it tested and then stay proactive to keep your immune system tight. So stay away from sugars, gluten, anything that can make lime grow and then also stay proactive and like detoxing your body by drinking alkaline water, taking supplements, sweating, all of that. Michaela, you are truly a tick hacker. And we'd like to ask you and all of our listeners to take a look at our website at tickbootcamp.com. We've developed a tick bite blueprint. We've crowdsourced the feedback from all of our podcast guests, and we're going to take your feedback and add it to it as well which is really a guide and an outline of steps to take if you're bitten by a tick to help people take the proper steps. 
So again, Michaela, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. And we are so blessed to have had you on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I love what you guys are doing. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with Michaela Sharanko. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Michaela Sharanko and our tick disease journey, please visit our Instagram at Fluke, F-L-E-U-K-E. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite blueprint, which has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by our past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.